2: Shop now, in store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just arrived collection of swim and other sun ready silhouettes.
0: This is Unbreakable with Jay Glazer, a mental health podcast, helping you out of the gray and into the blue. Now, here's Jay Glazer.
3: Welcome into Unbreakable, a mental health podcast with Jay Glazer. I am Jay Glazer. And look, I've talked about needing teammates in my life. And the guy I'm having on right now is one of the baddest motherfuckers who've ever walked the face of the earth. So for all the men out there who are nervous or worried about opening up to other dudes about, oh, they're going to call you a wuss, or, oh, it's going to take away your manhood, this is the baddest motherfucker on the planet. And it's one of the guys I call when I'm struggling, when I'm hurting. I call him up, and I say, dude, do me a favor. Come on over to the house. I'm struggling today. I'm hurting. And basically come on over and spar with me and punch me in the face so I can feel a lot better. And with that, I welcome in a man whose nickname is the Smashing Machine. Who is one of the pioneers of mixed martial arts. He is a former heavyweight champ of the world. He was one of one at one point. He was the baddest dude on this planet. Again, my friend Mark Kerr, welcome my brother.
1: Hey Jay, thank you for the introduction and that's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing and you know, I've learned like you've learned over time that that call sometimes is the hardest phone call to make, you know, when you, when you're in that funky space. You know, but when you call me up, I look forward to it because usually as much as you get out of it, I tell, I get probably 10 times as much. I mean, I'd like punching you, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it usually works out really, really well, but you know, it's not true. I mean, if anybody saw us train together, I would say if you counted wicks, um, I'd take, I'd probably take more just because, you know, anyway, there's a lot of reasons well, why I but... take more. So
3: people who know are <laughs> uh, my strategy. Okay, and this is something that, you know, I, I picked up my style from Randy Couture, right? Who you wrestled in the NCAA mm-hmm. finals one year. Okay. But our thing is like, man, we're not more athletic than anybody than anybody else. We're not bigger than anybody else. We're not faster than anybody else. We're we're not so I've just got to like my output has to be so much more. I've got to be fucking relentless. So if you mm-hmm. throw one, I throw ten. And also I'm not elusive something you to hit a lot. Right. <laughs> so that's the thing. So Marky here is talking about me hitting him more. That's because if he throws one, I'm going to throw 10 because eventually, and by the way, I go about life the same way where I throw so many fucking haymakers. Eventually you're going to go, Holy shit. I didn't sign up for this. Get them the fuck off me. Just enough. Stop. So that's, I use it in life. I use it in fighting. I just tried to be fucking relentless, relentless, relentless. So I'll take my beating for a while but just keep it coming, keep going forward, keep going forward. And that's how, I, that's how I got to where I am as an NFL insider. It took me 11 years to get a full-time job with that same thing. So it's just – um
1: and even so, like for me, though, you know, I want people to understand who Mark is. So I'm going to interrupt you here, Jake, because that – it's interesting because just the other day you had said something where – uh, just you're in a place in life right now where sometimes that relentlessness you 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 almost need to learn to dial it back some. And you know, that's with your relationship with Rosie, you know? And that's the hardest thing. Yeah, now you do because it's cause it's paid dividends your whole life. The relentlessness that showman's firing is absolutely correct. It's 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 a it's a mirror for how you've how you've gotten to where you've gotten to. And I think the hardest thing, you know, a lot of times for, for me is to make that adjustment to find that little balance between that push as hard as you can and that, Hey, dude, I, you know, this laid back, you know, so, so there, there's balance and it's, I'm still trying to find it.
3: That, that's my strategy when I'm trying to, you know, win business deals or get to where I am in my career mm-hmm. or go against a guy like you who, um, folks, I only had two fights, and then Fox made me stop fighting, right? I've, I then had to switch and coach. Uh, so I'm not fighter in, in that sense like, well, you know, these guys are. Um, I've been in there with them, but I'm not that. But Mark, again, what got me to fight in the first place was Mark. HBO did a documentary on him <laughs> called The Smashing Machine. And back then when Mark fought, there were no gloves, no time limit, You could headbutt. You could tear open cuts. You could soccer (laughs) kick dudes' heads, and there was no fame and no glory. And I literally looked at and go, "Oh my god, that's where I want to be. That's where I belong." And I was already on TV at the time, but I was like, "That's what makes me feel
1: special." Take me to those early days. Oh my god, man! There's, I mean, you you framed it correctly. I mean, there, you know, there was very little to stop you from doing whatever you wanted to do. I mean, they implemented really the example I give is, uh, you know, just an ob- like Gary Goodridge. They instituted the Gary Goodridge rule and Gary Goodridge in a fight down in Brazil reached in this guy's shorts, grabbed his nuts and twisted it as hard as he could. And you could see from the camera angle, the guy just dropped down and then they go, well, we're going to have to institute that one rule. No, no nut grabbing, but you're allowed to do everything, you're allowed to do everything else. <laughs> so it was absolutely nuts. And I I don't think looking back on it, if I fully understood it, uh that I probably would have I, you know, went ahead and signed on the dotted line. But once you were in it, you were in it. You know, once I was doing it, I was doing it. There was no, you know, if I was doing it, I was doing it from a very primal perspective. It was doing it from I was gonna protect my village. You know, that's the way I felt. You know, I was was protecting. You know, it just draws out. You know, like fighting in general just draws out in people. I I believe they're just their absolute primal nature and. You know, I, I I always thought I had it in me, but until I stepped in the ring, is when it was confirmation that I had that in me. That if it came right down to it, it, it you know, I could I could fight somebody to the death. You know, that's the way it felt inside me. You why know, did you, why did you need that that validation? Um, you know, cause I, I I think as a, as a competitor, I always knew as competitive, I always felt like, man, maybe I wasn't always reaching the potential that I thought, you know, and I think in the back of my head, you know, I always had this a little bit of doubt of like, really, am I really that, you know, am I that competitive fight back in those days, man, fight at all, fight right. at all. You know, and I, you've heard me talk about this, I said, regardless if it's in, you know, a Considered like an amateur or this or that. If you get in the ring, man, you got my respect. No doubt.
3: I don't care. If you're, and I don't care if you're owing hundred and sixteen. You have our no doubt. You have respect because you're willing to do something that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the world are unwilling or unable to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, but you, but again, you're doing it at a time when you, it's not like you know the UFC was big or anything back then, like mm-hmm. it is now. So tell me about when you first, your first fight, when you go in there. So you don't, you're fighting in the unknown because you don't have any film mm-hmm. to really see <laughs> what's going on. So you get in your first fight, you have no gloves, there's no rules set. Tell our people
1: where it is oh, it up,
3: and how fucking either horrified oh, you are.
1: The reality is when I got down to Brazil, it was in San Paulo, Brazil it was in the basement of a hotel called uh, the Maxu Plaza. And it's this ring, like my first time down into the bowels. Wait, how, of, how did they find you in the first place? Uh, this local trainer here in town had said, uh, Hey, you know, it's, you know, I set usually set it up like this. That year amateur wrestling, I had just finished in 1996. I uh, said I was done. Um, that year working full time as an assistant coach, all these other things, I made $23,000. Okay. The guy that approached me with this fight in, in, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil said, I'll get you $25,000 for one night. So right there, you got my attention, right? And so I end up, he ends up saying, Hey, listen, it's going to be this competition. You're going to be the most athletic. He doesn't really give it much more detail than that. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll train for it. And he's like, you know, trains me for it. And we get down to Brazil and it's literally, literally, in the bowels of this hotel and I go down there like when we first arrived and it's it's this ring in this small little I don't even know if you can call it a conference room it was more of like almost it felt like it was like a storage area they had cleaned out to make room for the ring. the locker rooms were just dividers like partitioners you would put into like an office space and you know he's like okay and the rules meeting was just really simple. It was like, okay, you know, they would only allow you to to tape your hands down to just short of your knuckles. That was the rule. Like you can use tape on your on your hands, but you can only tape down to just short of your knuckles. How many fights in the one night were you gonna? Did you know you were gonna have? I knew I was going to have three. I, I knew I was going to have three. And he, he, the way it was described to me is like, hey, listen, you're, you're, you know, the fight should be over quick. The first couple you should. And the first guy they pair me with is, you know, just on size alone it was Paul Barlins. He's six, you know, Paul's passed away since then, but he's, you know, six foot seven. He's like three hundred and seventy, three hundred and eighty 380 pounds. Just, you know, we're brainwashed to think bigger is badder. And it has nothing to do with fighting. And I, I didn't, hadn't realized that at that point. And I remember looking across the ring from him going like, holy fuck, man, this dude's big, man. Like looking at him and, and I remember, I remember my coach just kind of looking at me and goes, you'll know what to do. And he was, he was right. He, I mean, everything at once the bell rang, everything became a reaction and I just reacted to it did what I do. I took him down to the ground, you know, started kneeing him in the face and that set into motion, just kind of like butterflies are gone. I understood what was going on and knew like the next guy wanted to just get out. And then I ran into the the, Paul Varlins was a couple minute fight, just mangled him. And, and then I fight this other guy, Master Hawk. That was a quick fight. And then Fabio Gagel. And that, that's when it was like, that was an eye-opener. You know, Fabio Gagel, the, the, everybody that was there in the audience that night was there for him. And, and it was probably, God man, they ended up stuffing probably about probably six or seven hundred people in this small little area. And it was all dudes. It was all jujitsu guys. And it, it was. Fabio no matter what I did to him no matter how hard I headbutted him how many cuts I dug into how many elbows I threw how many he just would not quit and i mean that like i honestly felt like there was moments where in my head i was like okay i'm just going to headbutt him like five more times and then he should quit. And I fractured his orbital. I broke his nose. Um, I chipped teeth in his mouth. I mean, like Jay, it was, you've seen some of the, I mean, it's, it was just messy and he wouldn't quit. He just went quit. And that was like the introduction to like, really like, you know, like my perception of what I thought tough was um, like, he took it to a whole new level of like, just a, just didn't matter. Didn't matter what I did to him, he was not he was not going to give up. You know, incredible. So when you went to the UFC, how was that different? The the UFC was a little bit more theatrical. You know, it's a little bit more. You know, um, what which was your first UFC? UFC what? UFC fourteen, and you know, part part of the UFC it's the last couple to set the stage for for your listeners. It's the last couple of tournaments they had i believe 15 or 16 was the last tournament they had and then they just switched the individual bout people can look it up but it's one of those where i know they were phasing it out it just
3: tournaments as in you're fighting you know three three times a night is what mark said yeah
1: you know the ufc was it was different but it was one where it was still run like um an underground yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's basically what it was at the at the time that I ended up fighting for the UFC. They had alienated every boxing commission in the United States. The only places they were having fights were Alabama and Mississippi that either didn't have at the time a boxing commission or the boxing commission just looked the other way. It, it was, it was that much of a, of a shit show for the UFC. It really was.
2: A free, spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com.
4: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
3: So now, then you go to Pride, which is in Japan, which is where, I don't think we met there, right? Because I... I was the first host of an MMA show in America, national MMA show, yeah. Um, because I had signed a deal with Fox to do the NFL and UFC. And two weeks after I signed, Dana had brought the UFC from Fox. We did a show on Best Damn Sports Show, period. And That's we did right. a fight there, oh and God. then it got moved from here to, to Spike TV to do The Ultimate Fighter. Yep. <clears throat> but it's still part of my contract. People don't know this. That's how Pride got – To America and that's how we got it on Fox and, uh, because it was part of my initial deal Fox in 2004 is when that was. Oh my
1: God. Wow. All
3: right. So, but we had to go to Japan and deal with them and you're basically dealing with the Japanese mafia, you know, cutting a deal with them and it was the wild west. So you get paid 25 grand to fight in Brazil. How much you get paid to fight in the UFC? Do you
1: remember? The UFC was uh twenty five thousand. I ended right. up signing a three fight deal at the time. Uh so then it like the Japanese, it was just yeah. another level. And that was total. like
3: six figures tax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, wait, yeah. I don't wanna put your tax shit out yeah. there. So, <laughs> <laughs> but folks you'd walk into these rooms and when we were doing Pride and they'd have all these Stacks of money stacked up of every mm-hmm. like country of fighters and they would just, they'd have like, let's say this guy from, um, you know, England was fighting and he was getting 200 grand, 200,000 pounds. They'd have 200,000 pounds, 200 grand for that guy in cash. And then 200,000, they put like in a pillowcase or a sack or something to give to the Japanese government or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing with it. Right. And they just push the cash across the table to you
1: hmm yeah yeah i mean jay th- like they didn't like you have no background like there's nothing in my life to this point which has taught me any kind of etiquette for this right <laughs> like i i don't i don't know what to do i'm like you know it's like it is literally it's it's written like a hollywood script because you go in a hotel room you could still smoke heavily you know, in hotel rooms, it's usually at the time it was usually at least a couple, two, three Japanese guys in there smoking cigarettes. And, you know, they pull your contract around, they'd read it to you, write it. And then they get these, you know, attache cases up, which are square, which fit money in it, currency. And they'd open it up and they'd just start piling out on the And I like literally you, you look at it. And I remember the one time, one of the first times I remember, like, get my shirt out. And like trying to like take the money and like scoop it in my shirt. And then I was like, Oh man, this ain't good. It's like, this is not going to work because <laughs> I still had to go back in the hotel, back in the, in the elevator, which nobody is, nobody's going to mess with you at all. They kind of understand what's going on.
3: It's run by the Japanese mafia, of course. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so that's when I go and I, I literally go to the bed just take a pillowcase and go to the table and scoot it on the, you know, scoot it on the pillowcase and, and literally walk down to my room. So it was by far, I mean, it was some of the best times I can look back on it now and realize that it is at the time. It was just, no one can believe like you tell the story to other people and they go, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: You to other fighters now, what you and I have done together. And they look at us like, Oh, come on. There's no way yeah. that happened. It's crazy. Oh yeah. To like, Oh no! That's how it
1: was. No, no, that's- it, it it's, it's how they operated, over there, man. It was, it was, it was standard operating procedure, man. It really was.
3: Well, you know, before I even get into that, I do want you to tell people because you've told this to a girl who's fighting for us at Unbreakable. You gave her advice about what your mindset is. So what's your mindset when you get in that ring, that cage? That you would give to every fighter out there. You talked about smelling blood. You talked about.
1: Oh God. Man, talk about
3: fe- and talk about just the fear, how you deal with that
1: fear. You know, a, a lot of it, it took me a while to figure this out. You know, I, I, I call it reframing, reframing language before I, you know, the anxiety and stuff and all of that. You get, you know, the nervousness and all that. And then I realized one thing it, it you know, I realized how privileged I was to be able to do what I was doing. And I realized that it wasn't anxiety or fear. I was feeling it was excitement and it was genuinely, I learned to really appreciate that moment that all my senses were just getting stimulated to where, you know, and it leads me into this. It's like one of the, one of the main reasons in a fight, I tried to get somebody to bleed, you know, off. It's like right when we started fighting because that smell of blood, it kicked in like this primal, you know, Darwinian, you know, feeling of like, you know, I'm I'm defending my life, but I'm defending the village behind me as well. You know, my smell would be so highlighted, and you know, I could literally, literally stand twenty feet away from the guy I was fighting, and I could smell what kind of sweat he had. I could smell. Nervous sweat, which is this stinky, pungent, or I could smell like sweat, like just water, salt. You know, it was this weird. And I thought it was weird until I started talking to other people about it, going, hey, yeah, I kind of have the same deficiency. Because it's one where it's like, yeah, you know, you're gonna tell a story about you smelling some guy's body odor across the room. Somebody's gonna look at you like you're a little bit nuts. But you know, at the time it was like, you know, it's like I could literally smell him i could smell the iron in his blood i could just this feeling of anticipation excitement it was like this feeling of like just an unbelievable overload of senses but focused and directed you know and that's that's kind of the areas where it's, where are it's talking about the fighters. like you need to embrace those moments man you know lean into it man you, you you learn to appreciate just that moment because there's nothing else in your life that's going to give you that
3: And even appreciate the fear, Mm -hmm. appreciate the moments that cause you to be afraid because you're doing something that's just so different. And this could really translate to other areas of life. Like even areas that you're afraid of things, embrace it. Be like, Hey, I appreciate it. I'm afraid of this right now because I'm doing something that's out of my comfort zone.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, for myself, you know i'm like a late bloomer and in, in what what's going on in my life now and i'm trying to figure all this business stuff out and, and you know it's it's scary for me but you know but i can look back on you know what it felt like to get in the ring what it felt like to be in that place of fear or anxiety and understand that it's a privilege still for me, you know, even though I'm afraid of it, I don't know the outcome of it. I'm still going to work my way through it. I'm still going to fight my way through that fear or anxiety or whatever it is, because realistically it's a privilege, man. It's a privilege to have that, you know, I can sit back and I can go to work at, you know, wherever and take all the fear out of my life. Right. I could, you know, live in a one bedroom shack. I could not have any, you know, there's so many things that I could do to make my life comfortable. And it's just like, eh, you know, to what end, you know, to what end?
0: This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com.
2: Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com.
4: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
3: The other reason you and I talk a lot is because we're both fucked up. You know, we're I say we're fucked up, but we're good with our fucked upness. You've done mm-hmm. more work than I have to learn to be good with your your more fucked upness. And this was all, this was in the Smash Machine. It's We saw you had different addictions how yeah. many you know something a's are you in um and, and like like basically tell everybody what happened after fighting because
1: you went down the oh, dark, dark I, road yeah i you know what i understand now jay is that i was trying to treat with alcohol and drugs a lot of different stuff that was going on with me um mental health wise you know i i am you know, not understanding any of it. And, you know, once, once I got caught in that loop, it just is really hard to break, you know, because you come out of a, stu- you know, I would come out of a stupor and I'd have a, a moment of consciousness where I'm thinking straight. And then I would get trapped in that place again, where I would be like, you know, okay. And I would start self medicating again, I would doing this and doing that. And, you know, it just, it ended up in, you know, by the time I ended up looking up, you know, 12 years of my life, 13 years of my life had gone by, you know, and then you and I run into each other again. And it's just this perfect convergence, you know, because I I haven't done any of that stuff. I've done alcohol or drugs in, in, in quite a long time. And, you know, understanding that, um, you know, that that you were put my life for a reason, man, because I, 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 you know, like I said, it's, you know, the days you call me, hey, man, I really need you up here and stuff like that. You know, I I, I'm getting just as much out of it. And I understand that, you know, my mental health is based on, on the actions I take, not by what I take, you know, and it's a big difference. It's, it's a big difference, you know, and you know, I put better people in my life around me, you know, I better, you know, a better personal relationship with, you know, with the woman in my life right now. And, you know, I have better relationships with my ex wife and you a know, better relationship with my son. And, you know, in, and, and a lot of that has taken, it's taken a lot of trial and error, you know, which took more
3: out of you the punches and elbows and kicks or the drugs and
1: alcohol. Oh man. Wow. <sighs> you know, the drugs and alcohol, man. I, I mean, realistically it's, you know, I, I could I could literally get punched ever every day, you know, in they talk about in AA, they talk about like incomprehensible demoralization, you know, and that that's the feeling of like, I'm going to quit one more time. And you wake up from a bender, you know, with this shame and guilt and they call it an incomprehensible Demoralization. Even at that moment, you're making all the promises in the world. I'm never going to do this again. I won't put myself through it. I won't put my family through it. I won't put my loved ones through it. And then a little little bit goes by, and you do it again. And then you end up in this loop. And you know, I was stuck in that loop for such a long time. And you know the you know just the guilt that I felt, the shame I felt, and all these things. I just I couldn't break free. Did you
3: get? Started with drugs and alcohol to um, replace the high of fighting, or yeah. was it
1: because of your mental health issues? Uh, I think it was a, a little bit, of, a little bit of both. And part of what I'm figuring out now, looking back, I was trying to replace something, and it's just this. You know, you always chase the first thing, like you chase, like as a as an addict, you know, I'd always chase that first feeling of, you know, that first, oh my God, euphoria, or euphoric, you know, and it was trying to replace that. Like I said, there's nothing in the world that can replace that. Like in Japan, when I'm getting ready to fight and there's 95,000 people in the arena and I'm walking down that, the spotlight's on you, there's nothing going to replace that. I tried. <laughs> it, it, it can't do it you know and I, I I've i learned to go okay man that that was an experience that was incredible you know uh, I've learned to to look at it for what it was this is incredible gift life gave me to have that experience and you've heard me talk about this Bill Gates can't buy it you know Jeff Bezos he can't buy it you know Elon Musk can't buy it. he can't buy that feeling I had walking down Getting in a ring, me and another dude in 95,000 people in an arena getting ready to fight, you can't buy it.
3: But it took you 50 years to realize that, right? Yeah,
1: took me a long fucking time.
3: And and this is something else. Like, Mark and I, um, there was a day he said to me, man, one of my struggles is that, like, I used to be Mark Kerr. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, motherfucker, you're Mark Kerr. And I want everybody out there to understand that. Just because you used to do something doesn't mean that person's gone now that you're not doing it anymore. If you've done it once, you're that person. Use that. Build up Mm -hmm. that equity. And as I said this to Mark, no, you're fucking Mark Kerr. The kid that we were at the gym, Mark and I, the kid behind the desk said, excuse me, me, by any chance, you Mark Kerr? Absolutely right on, yeah. I want people to understand that, that, I think we chase a lot of past glories and that leads to a lot more mental health issues mm-hmm. instead of being proud for what we've done. And it took you a long time to realize, yeah, no one could spend, and every athlete out there, I want them to hear this, that people can't spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to get what you have behind your rib cage. And you can't buy that. Mm-hmm. And once you've had it, you've had it. You have to look look at it like it's always back there behind your rib cage as a metal on your wall and nothing could take that off except you. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It, it, you know, there, like, there's a, there's a cerebral, like, I understand this, but there's a feeling of like, when I finally got it, you know, when I finally got it, you know, I can intellectualize it and say, yeah, you know, it's like, it's yeah, telling me it could never, but you know, it's, it's genuinely, it's a feeling, you know, it's a feeling of like, you know, you can't take that from me, you know, I've earned that. That's, you know, something I've earned. It actually took that and, you know, quite a few more conversations with you, you know, for me to work through some of that, because that's some of the stuff that, you know, that that I had difficulty around is, and I think every athlete does, I don't think there's one athlete that, you know, walks away from any sport and just easily transitions in their regular life and just is you just in it, you know, I look at it like it's a, it's a tall task, but you can, you can work through it. You know, you can work through it. And, you know, I, I try the drugs and alcohol to run from it. And, you know, now I'm embracing the fact that, hey, man, that's my experience, man.
3: You don't have to keep doing it over and over and over to say you did it. Mm-hmm. That's what I want people to really understand. Give me, and again, you're in, I, like, I learned a lot from you. And I call Mark because we get each other. But you've been in Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and you come up with different things, give me like the most important thing that you have learned as an addict that wow man, that you could you know impart on our listeners that could help them
1: you know the like what i 've learned for myself is a lot of what i didn 't understand you know I grew up in an alcoholic family, and you know i didn 't understand how 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 that really impacted me you know as as a as a child, you can't choose your parents. You can't choose, you know, you live with them. They impact you almost like your parents are godlike figures and they impact you. And what I've understood through my recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction and stuff like that is understanding where I came from and how that impacted me um, has just such a huge importance on my recovery. And, you know, first thing is you need to be, you know, I had to be off of drugs, off alcohol, and then I could, uh, then I could look at everything else, you know, but without being sober, it doesn't really matter what I do. It's just, you get caught in this loop. I was caught in this loop that that just wouldn't let me go. It wouldn't let me go. So anybody out little kid in you, no, and that, that's it. That's, that's literally it, man. Like I, I've had to. Like, look at my, you know, six-year-old self, you know, like <laughs> what you're talking about, man. I'm going to start crying if I talk about it. so <laughs> You're good, brother. You know, you're safe.
3: With me and all our teammates, you're safe.
1: <laughs> that day I was at the house when you got back to Thailand. And you're talking about, like, what would you say to six-year-old Jay?
3: Yeah, to give, I said, what well, I learned in Thailand <laughs> is sit in my pain and put my arm around little Jay. Yeah, yeah. And give him a hug. And shown compassion because he never felt like he had.
1: it. Yeah, incredible.
3: And and, and I want people here to understand here again. Here are two bad motherfuckers (laughs) sitting here crying openly in front of the public, in front of America right now. Nothing about this makes us weak.
1: No, you know, it strengthened my vulnerability, you know. And, you know, part of healing myself is to completely get that completely get that, you know, if I'm not willing to dig below the surfaces, it, I'm doing myself such a disservice, man, such a disservice as a, as a human being, because other people look at us and they go, oh, you know, he's the, and it's like, no, man, I, you know what, man, it, the part that's, that people are attracted to me, in me, is my vulnerability.
3: Yes, very much. Yeah, I'm the only one attracted to you because you punched me in the face.
1: Nobody else. (laughs) That's a little little different,
3: right? Oh man. Amazing though. But this is again, I want all the dudes out there to hear this and all the women listening to let their dudes listen to this. Go, man, this dude's a killer and he's crying to Jay openly. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no shame in it. Instead, I'm admiring you for it. You admire me for it when I cry to you. Oh, and that's, that's, I mean, we, that's how we have to change this world. We've got to start being open and vulnerable with each other like this, because if we don't and you hide your pain, that's when you hide it in dangerous ways.
1: Oh God, man. It's, and you're right on that. You know, it's, right. it is just imperative, man, that, you know, let a father be vulnerable to his, to his family's his father, be yeah. vulnerable to, you know, to, I mean, it's, it's
3: I tell it's, head coaches in the NFL, be vulnerable with your team. And you know what? Mm-hmm. I went out and spoke to the Minnesota Vikings. Gave a whole big thing on this. And I saw Kevin O'Connell, after they beat the Colts, and they come back crying in his locker room. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. How much more of those guys now going to lay it on the line for you that you just cry in front of them, showed them that you're real, not, oh, no, nothing stops me, nothing breaks me, nothing. like. And I know it's called unbreakable,
1: but what makes you unbreakable is that vulnerability. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's If people can understand that to be unbreakable is just that. Is that when you get down to the core of who you are and you express that of vulnerability, you are unbreakable. There's nothing out there that can break you, because you, you you're exposed, man. You're yeah, I'm a human being. I cry and I get vulnerable. You know. The
3: last question I have for you, my brother, since we're on the term of unbreakable, I ask every guest. Give me your unbreakable moment. What's that moment when something should have broken you and didn't? And you came through the other side of that tunnel. Now you're stronger as a result.
1: Man, there, there's actually the biggest moment that, you know, is, is when I, you know, at my lowest point, man, when I, when I overdosed on, on drugs, you know, when I overdosed and, you know, at that, at that moment, man, it, it was so overwhelming. You and I have
3: never, ta- well, I have never talked about it. What did you know?
1: I overdosed on, on morphine. You know, it was, it was one of those things where. You know, at the moment when you, when I realized I didn't die, right? And, and I'm in the hospital and, you know, I'm just, you know, you, you, and again, this is, this is this moment of this incomprehensible demoralization and feeling of like, just this feeling of, of, Just such, such shame, but such relief that I didn't die and like promising to God that I'm going to do the most with my life and all of this. And, you know, it's like from that moment, man, I was working my ass off in a different way. I was working it to get medals, to get medallions, to get belts, to get world championships, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the big deal was, is that I made a different promise to God. You know, I, I promised him that I, that I would affect you know, those around me in, in a way that I just wasn't at the time. And it's taken me now to get to this point, Jay, to where, where I understand where I am at this moment in time, you know, and it's to, it's to fulfill that promise I made, you know, way back when, you know, way back when. So. I love that
3: dude. And you know what, you and I spoke, I made the same promise when you read my book, Unbreakable, it's me almost dying. I'm at Cedar Sada hospital. And I, Man, that whole room goes to the other – goes about 10 feet away. I was like, God, if um, this is my moment, I love you, and it's okay. But I think I have more to do in this world. And if you could step in here, I promise I will do more to help in this world and to help inspire and change people's lives and save people. And that's what this podcast is for me. That's what the book was for me. It was my version of keeping my promise to God where we could help people with their mental health. We could help people – MVP was part of that promise for me. Words mm-hmm. and guns and players and unbreakable is part of it. That book was really me keeping my promise to God that I would do more for this world. And that's, yeah. um I think a lot of people forget when they make that
1: oh, promise, man, they
3: just like, all right, now I'm saying, now I can go back to just doing and, shithead and, things again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that was, that was part of, you know, it's, it's, it, there's no coincidence. It's It's why right. you're in my life now. I'm in I'm your right. life. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of things that I still have unfulfilled, you know, and I, and I believe that, you know, that the rest of my life is just, it's out in front of me to help as many people as I possibly yeah. can.
3: Man, I love you, brother. And I'm glad to listen CJ. to this and, and, uh, and get some help from this as a result of this, man, that's Mark Kerr. How does the smashing machine, they call him the smashing machine for what he's done in the past, but I call him the smashing machine because he's fucking guys still punching me in the face. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love right you, my on, dude. Man, I love you Thank too, you, man. Brother. Hey, I appreciate it, Jake. Take care, Thank brother. Thank you, man. All
3: right, brother. All right. Hey, folks, let's keep walking. Let's walk together.
2: You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer, like this one, or home to vibes like this and this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art. That's like whoa and hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad.